welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 112 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Every game is a quest in this hobby, and every play, every win, every roll of the dice could mean a level up. This is King Scott. This is just Patrick. And today we've got another amazing episode chock full of gaming goodness. We got a bunch of games to the table lately that we're going to chat about. Then we'll do the 8-bit breakdown for Snapship Tactics. Mm-hmm. The Time Warp is Transmissions. Then Archmate Chandru joins us to host If Board Games Were People. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to You know, we had a lot of fun with that segment last time. I can't wait to get around to it again this time. Scott, I'm telling you what, the seasons are changing. The pumpkin seeds are, uh, they're they're running out. Actually, we had to put one in the compost today. It's it's officially, dude, there was like water sitting in it. It was all kinds of gross. Yeah. It's it's gray sweatpants season. We got to start beating the women away with a stick. Well, and also, uh, what was it? I always love that meme whenever they have the women in the picture with vests on and white shirts and khaki pants. And they're like, oh, it's Han Solo season. Very good. Oh, yeah. It's uh, (coughs) pumpkin spice time. And another thing that comes along with this time of season that hits me right in the lungs is that grand old allergy with all the leaves being torn up here in western Pennsylvania. You get the allergies? So I may be coughing a little bit tonight, so (sighs) bear with me, folks. I'll try and edit them out (laughs) as much as I can. (laughs) Well, last time you didn't have to worry about that because, unfortunately, I didn't make it. So it was kind of interesting being on the other side and listening to you and Josh doing an episode. It was great. Thanks. Thanks. We had a good time doing it. Uh, You know, as it turns out, adventures, uh, you know what? Let's do the apology music. Adventurers, you may have noticed last episode when we cut into our Dragon Dawn's Productions commercial, I uh, I overlapped the tracks by accident. There's a reason why this happens, and it's a, it's an easy mistake to make, and I made it, so I'm sorry. It's just our way of letting you know that Patrick is human. <laughs> it, it's true. <laughs> dude, that's not the only error. I'm at work, right? Ryan's, Ryan messages me. He's like, dude, you need to message me immediately. And I was like, what? Oh, I'm a, okay. I messaged him. I was like, what's up? And he's like, big problem in your episode. It's like an hour and 19. And I was like, what, what could it possibly be? So I just, I ran to the break room and I turned it on. <laughs> and like, as we're talking, you could do this like, huh, 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 huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know, you know what it said. So I, I said to Ryan, oh yeah, no, that's, that's dogs. Dog's Josh. That's Josh's dog. So I cut out the part where the dog was actually like, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> he started hacking on some Josh. Josh, we had to pause the recording and everything, but you can hear where it started. And he's like, oh, geez, I thought it was like, uh, you know, a porn going and a guy getting really into it. No, no, oh. come on. And so I, you know, I listened to it again and I was like, oh, that does sound kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of audio adventures, uh, as we as we wrap up season three, we've only got uh, 
What do we have? This episode and next, and then we're yeah. doing the first episode of season four, year number four. Woo. As we're wrapping up and going into year four, we're going to keep allowing for user-submitted audio, listener-submitted audio. If you've got something you want to say, a game you want to review, something like that. If you want your audio on the show, that's that's where we initially stuck our flag in the ground and said, this is what our podcast is going to be. And, you know, Three years later, it's it's really not that. <laughs> I thought that was going to get more of a response than it did. So we're going to keep it for the time being. If you've got something that you just want to say, hey, get on the show. You know, this is this is everybody's show, so to speak. Yes, yes, we're we're always open to hear what you have to say about the games you're playing. You may bring up one that we don't even know about, and we're like, wow, how do we miss the boat on that one? Mm-hmm. So it's always open. The phone's on. You can give us a call. Uh, leave us an email. <laughs> leave us a voicemail, whatever you want to do. But uh, right now it's sitting pretty quiet. So how do you do it, I guess, is the biggest question. We've got a ton of new listeners over the last, like, honestly, Scott, it seems like every couple months there's this big wave of like, holy crap, we're getting way more downloads per episode. Mm-hmm. On our website, www.levelupgamepodcast.com, there's a join the adventure, the, you know, that little menu thing right across the top. And that gives you an idea of how you can go about submitting your audio. All it does is you say, here's what I want to talk about here's a brief outline of it and we're talking like four sentences and then i'll say yeah sure we're good to go send me audio and i provide you the email and all you got to do record yourself you can use a phone if it doesn't sound good i'll fix it i could i might include a <laughs> sound in the background <laughs> or a, a clip it over commercial but i'll clip it we'll make it sound good we want to hear from you i'm telling you what uh, spire's end i would have never played if it wasn't for fred web of spies yep. because of bill web of spies was great and i'd have never heard of that one if it wasn't for an adventure. Mm-hmm. Chiming in and telling us about what they're playing. And at the end of the day, prior to us doing this show, I thought, you know what? I'm listening to these people and I feel like some of these podcasters, I play more games than they do. And some of them, it's like, well, I know what, you know, you you ever yell at your radio? I'm pompous. You probably don't. But really what it is, is an admission that... We don't know it all. You know, we're, we're just everyday gamers. I, I don't spend every waking hour playing games. Some of you do. And I want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have another set of eyes out there taking a look at what's coming out, what's going to be on the horizon, what's the thing that's just, oh, I don't know, floating your boat in your little area of the world. You know, it's floating my boat. We got an announcement. Diablo, the video game, is getting oh. an RPG and board game. Okay, what's Diablo? Did you really just say that? Diablo, the video? You've never played Diablo? I've never played Diablo. Oh, my goal, King. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Diablo, it came out like mid-90s, and it's this town called Tristram, and there's this this old church that there's like 50 floors or some arbitrarily large number of floors going deeper and deeper and deeper until you eventually reach hell. Satan's down there or whatever, and you got to destroy him. And it starts off with like these dinky skeletons, and it's one of those like – Items are randomly generated kind of games. So you kill an enemy okay. and they spill some gold and like an item. And you have your mouse over and it says, oh, that's the staff of the bear or that's the the, the dagger of the lich, right? And okay. it's random. You don't know what you're going to find. And it's really cool. You can get uncommon items, rare items, legendary items, or even unique items, like one of a kind oh, in the game. Oh, oh. And as the game has evolved over the years, uh, they just had one recently come out. They've expanded on the worlds and you know some of the legendaries are beyond rare. Like 
one player out of every several thousand might find one on their 90th hour of playing it. You're not guaranteed anything. They're just, they're very, they're very fun games. And this was one of the first of its kind. And, and it hooked me on Diablo 1. Diablo 2, I played the crap out of. Like college, that's all. Dude, there were times I would miss class because I was just clicking on my computer oh. screen, moving my wizard along. Yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful game. They got a board game coming out. Adventures. Uh, some of you are close enough to have Scott's phone number or you have him on Messenger. Otherwise, please reach out to him on Facebook and belittle him for having not played of nor heard of Diablo. I, I question in the back here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mr. Patrick? Yes, sir. Didn't anybody realize they were building a church with 50 floors underneath <laughs> it? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe there were like two floors and then the rest were fabricated by the spawns of hell or... Something oh, like that. Oh, 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 oh. Anywho, okay. Diablo the board game. It's going to be a co-op <laughs> narrative-driven adventure board game in which the players will gather a party and take control of their own custom characters, known as champions, and venture through the world of Sanctuary. Help those in need, explore dungeons and tombs full of undead horrors, battle the legions of the netherworld, and traverse the realms of creation. Diablo the board game along with its direct companion tabletop RPG system, will fuel one another with interchangeable game components, shared accessories, and complementary expansions with overarching events in a fully integrated product line. It sounds like you're going to be able to use some of the pieces from one and the other, kind of like, right. a, remember Gloomhaven? They just did their yes, RPG yes, and yes. they had all that. You could buy all the figures and you can use them in your board game. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it's going to be built in that way. Now, the company doing this is Glass Cannon Unplugged, same team that did Frostpunk, which was very yeah. well received by the community. And hey, we're it's finally on the table, Scott. I think we yep. said back in March, let's get this done in two months. Well, <laughs> we got it done. That's going to be a Well, it's two months by the Aztec calendar. I, I got nothing. <laughs> two months go, goes differently in different calendars. We were just going by a different calendar. Fair enough. What you got, Scott? You know me, I'm the tiny epic junkie here amongst us, oh, yeah. and I've gone through all of them, and I didn't pick up the tiny epic crime, the last one that they did. So then you now didn't they go have through a all new one coming out, and it just was a matter of time. Tiny epic Cthulhu is oh, coming they out. Did it? They sold their soul. Yes, yes. Gamelin they games. finally no! got to it. <laughs> so there's not much out. They just have something about a spinner that's in it that spins the amount of madness you get while you're playing the game. So no details are out, but that is due to come out on Kickstarter very soon. I have it already marked up there to remind me when it comes to Kickstarter, whenever it launches, I'll take a look at it. So you'll get more from me on Tiny Epic Cthulhu here in a couple weeks, I'd say. You know, credit to the Tiny Epic line. They could have just reskinned very similar games over and over, but they're all pretty mm -hmm. unique. They're all games in their own. They all stand alone, each of them. I have not played one that is similar to another. Tiny Epic Tactics kills me in that you have a tiny, okay, you know, it's already in the name, three-dimensional board you build that you play on. And whenever you go in the mountain, you flip those over and there's a dungeon inside that you have to go through. I give them all the credit in the world for looking outside the box mm -hmm. and coming up with so many great ideas. I mean, that whole group, give them a big pat on the back for, yeah, like you said, they don't reskin anything. They get some ideas. They may 
improve upon them mm-hmm. in games coming up, but nothing is ever really truly the same. Good, good line. Good line. I'm always yes, up for a tiny yes. epic. What's this G.I. Joe deck? Is this the deck building game? That, oh, yeah. That, the deck building game. We reviewed game. this one sometime about a year ago now. Anyway, what would it be coming yes, up on the yes, look back? Yes. G.I. Joe deck building game. You know me. I'm I'm the G.I. Joe guy. I just had to go out to Ollie's and pick up my Zaymont and Tomax figures for $4.99, which is pretty awesome. I got them sitting up on my table here. Looks really, really impressive. I like but it. But anyway, I digress. They have two new expansions coming out. One is the Silent Interlude. Now, that is going to be coming out after this next one, but I want to hold on to this one here first. The Silent Interlude, for those that are familiar with the G.I. Joe comic books, is related to issue 21, Hmm. the Silent Issue. There were no word bubbles, nothing in it. The entire issue was silent, where Snake Eyes went on his own mission on his own. There were no words at all in it. They had a problem with that at Marvel because people wrote into them saying, hey, where are the word balloons? <laughs> you forgot the words. You forgot this. I I want a new copy. They're like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. That has to have a real name, not a word balloon. There's got to be an actual title for what those things are. I know it's, uh, a, well, it's, it's a thought bubble, right? Isn't it a thought yeah, bubble yeah. for the one? Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's stick yeah. with word balloon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's going to be coming out. It's going to have a whole new scenario just for Snake Eyes, a whole new solo rule set for it. And then the big one that's coming out first is Raise the Flag. And those that are familiar with G.I. Joe toys, you always know. uh, What it was, I just saw something yesterday on Facebook. Someone said, yes, this is the 31st anniversary of me never getting the USS Flag. The USS Flag was the biggest playset ever put out for any toy line ever. Hmm. It was a six-foot-long aircraft carrier that you would put in your room, launch jets off it, had a little microphone on it that you would talk through to come through the speakers. This thing was enormous. I've seen one in a box one time. It was probably going for probably near $1,000 or something like that, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's almost impossible to get one completely, all the parts and everything else. But they are coming out with a deck building uh, expansion for this with a miniature flag that you build. As you raise the flag, you build the USS flag as you play, and it becomes a central part of the game. So this is going to be something really cool. Really looking forward to that and getting the deck builder back to the table again. I mean, there's so much out there for that game right now that I just want to sit down like for a whole weekend and just play that and go through each and every expansion. This toy is massive. Yes, I told you. Wow. You can get one on eBay for 600 bucks used. <laughs> oh, Wait wow. a minute. It comes with one Joe. That giant, yes. they have airplanes and all this stuff. You get one Joe. Yes, you do. That's no good. Who's the Who's the Joe? Hold on, let me see if I uh, includes oh, oh, GI Joe Admiral, code name Keelhaul. Yeah, that's right, Keelhaul. Yes. Oh man, look at these little kids in the '80s having fun. It's got oh, yeah. a helicopter. You know, we have our uh, we have our level up. We we tend to give each other something for Christmas. <laughs> and if I wheel into your house with a gi- gigantic wrapped box, I get to play with it too. <laughs> 
You got it. We'll, we'll, we'll share weekends. Oh, this, this is great. Now, I see something on here on the notes that you have that I know I just played with Tom not too long ago, and it was the big talk at Origins. The, the, Will talked me into it. You talked me into buying it. I picked it up. And never got it to the table until just a couple weeks ago. And I'm glad you did. I was expecting that I was going to have to teach you how to play this one. And it's on Board Game Arena, Wizards of yes. the Grimoire, which, uh, man, we've had this on the table. I, I can't I, – well, I talked about it a couple episodes back. Wizards of the Grimoire is a fantastic game. But uh, I wanted to bring up that they have the Shifting Sands expansion. It is live on Kickstarter. Ends, I believe, December 5th. I want to say it's like – 29 bucks for the expansion you can also get the base game for 29 bucks it's got the magnetic sealable box like they just did a fantastic job the artwork's great the gameplay's engaging fantastic two-player game but i gotta point something out oh okay. scott i want you to go on the geek and i want you to look up wizards of the grimoire let me take a look here oh i'm, I'm scared of what i'm gonna see here mm, mm-hmm. all right i'm on the page okay wonderful now uh adventurers if you're uh, if you're listening to the car you got kids or something uh, skip for we're a family show but this has to be brought up skip forward two minutes and uh t- t- cole and joe i'm sorry guys uh we we I met the designers. They're very nice, but uh, I this is this is me being a kiddo. <laughs> All right, Scott. I can't think of how to frame this. The cover of this box is two hands with like mystical light coming out, like they're 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 going to be squaring off against yes, each other, right? Yes. All right. I've seen enough. We'll say inappropriate content in my life. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm just going to play the the clip from Talladega Nights. Hey, Ricky. It's me, Cal. I got an offer to do Playgirl magazine, and I did it. I did a full spread for Playgirl magazine. I, I mean spread, man. I pulled my butt apart and stuff, and it was weird. I I mean, you probably didn't hear about it because I went under the name of Mike Honcho. Okay, Look at that box. I- Look at that box. That looks like two hands grabbing a butt and bending over. They said it. I, you can't unsee uh, it now, right? I can't believe that your mind went there right away. I saw two eyes with light shining out of their eyes. You saw eyes. I saw a bum. Yes, there are two little rectangles with light shining out of it, like looking menacingly at you. Moving on, Scott, we had the opportunity <laughs> to meet with Nathan Doverspike. He's a local who's designing a game called The Ethereal War. We had the chance yes. to play this one at SCG last week. Had a really good time with it. Got a copy of the novel, got a copy of the books. You know what? Let's step out for a minute because I've prepared a how to play. All right. Okay, so Ethereal War is a game for one to three players. When playing with three, someone's going to control the bad guys. Solo, you control the good guys. And at two players, it plays like a co-op against the game. Now, at the start of play, you choose a character, and you build up your starting deck of eight cards. You'll set up a small deck of a few cards depicting the missions, the uh, encounters that you're going to face during the game, with the goal of completing the final mission, typically like a powerful boss encounter. Now, notably, you can play a quick game just going through Act 1, 3, Three cards, basically. Or the complete play being three cards from Acts 1, and then two, and then three. When revealing a mission card, it's going to show what location you're at and what enemies are there. Typically, the location is going to have a state-based effect, like a stipulation or a rule modification for that encounter. And then the baddies are going to be based on the location and the level of the mission. You just grab their cards, and you're basically ready to fight. The initiative order for combat is going to be based on each character's speed, so easy to figure out the order in which combatants are going to act. 
On your turn, you draw your hand up to four cards, and then you spend energy to play some of them. Of course, more powerful spells are going to have a higher cost. Many of these cards allow for attacks, which involve rolling dice to determine hits, hopefully vanquishing the enemies before they get to act. Now, what makes this game progress, what makes you feel powerful and sets each play apart is that after each mission, you're going to gain the reward shown on the mission card. Maybe you draw from the upgrade deck, maybe drawing an ally to get a companion character who's going to activate and fight alongside you. It's going to be different every time, and by your fourth or fifth mission, there is no way you're going to have the same loadout as basically any other time that you've played. On top of that, you're going to be finding combos and synergies with the cards that you're adding to your deck, the equipment that you find, and the locations that your encounters take place in. Now, there's a metric ton of loving lore behind this game, and it can be found on the GameFound page or at EtherealWar.com. So let's get back to Scott and talk some thoughts. Okay, I had a great time with this. This was fun because I love playing my rhino guy, Grimhorn. <laughs> Grimhorn was freaking awesome. You've got a bipedal rhino person carrying a warhammer. How can you not like that? The great thing about it is the cards are very clean. Mm -hmm. They aren't like really bumbled up with a lot of words, a lot of rules, a lot of this, a lot of that. They're just very clean, very easy to play. And sometimes it's nice to have that. You let your imagination do the work of what's happening. Yeah. You don't have to have all this extra artwork put on there or anything. It tells you what you're going to do. And I, I think it's really a cool project that he's working on. So the game that you and I played, the scenario that we did, we had basically like three different interactions, right? And right. you can get the interactions from a deck. So where you're going to be at and who you're fighting is going to have some variability to it. We land in this place and we're confronted by those those two, like, we'll call them peons. They were just henchmen. Our henchmen mm -hmm. arbitrarily turning wrench, right? We beat the hell out of them. <laughs> and man, I was rolling like a champ. You got your deck of cards and it's what you're able to use uh, when you're playing the game. And you yes. draw, I believe it was four. You have four to work with and you yes. have some uh -huh. amount of energy that you can spend in order to play the cards, which have differing amounts based on the power level of the card. So a basic attack might only cost you one, whereas a more powerful attack might cost you three of your points, of which you only mm -hmm. get back one each turn. Man, we blew through those first two guys in like two swings. It was sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love the upgrading. In between scenarios, when you got an ally, I got a uh, what do you, you got a companion going. You had this, that armor. That yes, was really yes. sweet. So we go on okay, to the next. Okay. We've got a bipedal rhino in armor with a warhammer. Yes. Tell me how you can't love that. You know what? I like the simplicity of the game. You can tell that what Nathan was trying to do was create something that's this this rich world, this yes. thematic experience without having too many bells and whistles. Some people love things like uh, – think of the elements in Gloomhaven. Oh, we activated mm -hmm. wind. So cards with wind on them. Oh, and then you can put stickers on your card. You know, that's great and all, but that's for a very specific type of gamer. This is something that I can sit down and I can just play and play for yes. an hour and a half, have the complete experience and be done with the game. Mm -hmm. Break it out next week, do another hour and a half. And it's not like this ongoing campaign. I like that. And I'll tell you what else I like is the amount of the world building behind it. Nathan actually has a oh, yeah. book and two short stories to th yes. that, that this is set in. You can tell that the love for the world is there. And he put a lot of time and energy into that. And I think that's why this is going to be a success. 
something else that really kind of surprised me. I don't know if I, if you saw it in my message I sent to Nathan or not, but I was at Three Rivers Comic Con earlier this summer, mm-hmm. and I stopped it. They have one of their tables where they have all the flyers for different things going on. It's like, oh, um, 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 um. And then I saw this one card, and I picked it up, and I'm like, wow, this looks kind of interesting. It looks kind of like almost like a touch of Pacific Rim with mysticism and things like that. It ended up, it was a card (laughs) for his book. Uh Uh-huh. And I picked it up, and it was like, that just looks really cool. I'm going to have to pick that up. It just so happens that our paths intertwined, and boom, there we go. Yeah, I agree completely in that his love for this universe really comes across in the book, in the short stories. He has that love of it, and he can really develop that love into the game. So good on him. Well, you know what? There are a ton of extras that come along with this game. He's got an expansion to go with it. We only scratched the surface in our playthrough. It's very much much a first impression. Get on over to GameFound. This one's on GameFound. It went live two days ago as of the time that we're recording. Check it out. This is one that's not going to have the buzz of something like Diablo. But Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's a good little game. Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I think, doesn't he have a discount if you do it on GameFound? I have no idea. If he said I so, so, I forget. I think it Didn't was like it a $5 notes. off. It was like $40, but you could get it for 35 I believe it was. Well, good deal. I think I might, might, uh, might have to pick this one up. Yeah, definitely, definitely looking into this one. All right, King. Bit of a banter there. We even hit, uh, we tapped into adventures on the horizon there a few times. Let's get on with yeah. some recent plays. Why don't, uh, why don't we take the floor with Empire's End? I was delighted to see this at SCG last week, and I was like, I'm not leaving mm-hmm. here without playing that. And I know you guys oh. had just played it last week, but I was like, nope, I am not leaving until we play this game. We hyped it up a year ago. We, we ran into it at Origins, played it a bunch at Gen Con, and finally, you've got a copy in hand. How does this game play? Well, There's a lot of bad things that happen to you in this game here. Whenever you're playing the game, you are playing your empire. You set out a bunch of little cards in front of you where they're going to be farms. They're going to be cities. They're going to be all these different cards. There's 11 cards that you sit in front of you. Very similar to Space Base. Yeah. They're long and rectangular. You have them set out there. Beautiful, lush greenery. Beautiful buildings built up. Well, get used to that because it doesn't last long. In Wait, the middle, you then why have... would you get used to it? What's that? Then why would you get used to it? Well, you want to get used to it looking like that because it's not going to soon because you... <laughs> okay, don't mess with me, Patrick. In this game, you have a track that you're going to follow. Now, it's going through an age that you're mm-hmm. going to be going through. Each turn, you're going to be moving this timer down one step. And it just so happens that that first step that you get to is, hey, guess what? There's a disaster that happens. You flip over a card and you see where it's going to happen. You take a look. Oh, my farmland is going to be destroyed. Oh, so you put this little fire token on there just to remind you that, hey, this farmland is not going to be here for there for much longer. You flip over a card and then it shows you what you need to do to keep the fire away from you. It may be hammers. It may be wheat to feed people. It may be axes that you need to fend off barbarians or whatever the disaster might be. Yeah, yeah, of course. But what you're going to be doing is very similar to No Thanks is you're going to be paying 
to keep that away from you. So if they have wheat and hammers on there, you're going to pay a hammer, a little token that you have. So, nope, I don't want that. Goes to the next person. They, uh, nope, I don't want that one either. Goes to the next person. Well, okay, it's I, I, I don't have any more hammers here, so I guess I got to take it. You get all those tokens that were bid. Yes. So, you may have gone into it not having any hammers. Well, guess what? You got a load of hammers to help you out later on now. Sometimes no. you have the hammers and you're like, you know what? I can't pass this. It has four True. hammers on it. And I want those or two hammers, a wheat and a coin. I could bid it away and, and pass it to the next player. But I want that. I want all those resources. I'll use them to pass on something that's even more problematic further mm -hmm. down the road. But what does that do to your tile? We'll say it was a, whatever people have in space number six, in this case, a farm. So I took the disaster. What happens to me? Whenever you take that card, you will then slide it under any tile that you want to. Once again, they have one of these games where, oh, there's something bad, but oh, there's something good with right. it too. Yeah. On the bottom, there's a little bonus thing that will give you, oh, I don't know. It will let you reactivate another tile whenever it's healthy. It may give you an extra wheat. It may allow you to trade a wheat in for a hammer or an axe. Could be in-game points. All sorts of things. End-game points as well. But you have to be able to keep that section healthy. Mm -hmm. You can't have a, a disaster happen. Well, as you go along, you go to the next step. It turns out that this is the economy step. Well, you take a look at the bottom of all your uh, tiles that you have, and you take what's in green. Green is your economy. So you can take a bunch of wheat. You can take a bunch of axes. You can take a bunch of hammers. All e these things here. Except for whoever took that first disaster, because their farm if that's what it was, just got destroyed. Mm -hmm. You actually flip the tile over and it's burning on the backside and you no longer have that green symbol. You can't collect the resource anymore. And I love that the fire has that little touch of like the, the gloss on like it. Like a so gloss it really finish. shows up there. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome look. You have another disaster comes on. Later on, you'll get two disasters that happen. Two at a so time. Yeah, it's basically not... the game is we're getting disaster after disaster and you're trying to mitigate. You can't you can't walk away from the game with a clean slate. Everybody's going to no. lose some stuff. It's just trying to lose the least and be the most efficient with your resources, I would think. That's probably the best way of putting it, yes, because you are going to be bidding resources. You're going to be getting resources back. But if you keep the right places healthy and put the right cards underneath it, You'll be able to reap those rewards there as they go. Mm -hmm. You also have a battle phase where, once again, you'll go through, you take a look at the card. You flip over a card, you bid a number of axes or And this money, one's like a silent bid. Like, you put the axes and coin in your palm and put mm -hmm. out your fist, right? Everybody, all the fists go in and then you reveal. It's one of those, like, oh, yes, one and yes. done so, kind of bid. So you get a little antsy there whenever everyone has their fist in the middle and you're like, what's going to happen? You flip it over, you count how many axes you have on your board in front of you, your tableau, and how many you've flipped over in your hand. Mm -hmm. You then take a look at the card and see how many you had there and how it adds up. So if you had the most, you will get X number of points. You may get a number of resources. There's any number of things that will come with that. Right, right. If you got the next highest, you'll get a couple points here and there. Plus, also, if you reach the limit of what they were looking for, if you had eight and they were looking for seven, 
If you are the top one, you also get that one. Whoever doesn't get the top one, and normally if you're playing a four-player game, there's three of you, you then have to swap out a couple of your spots on your tableau. So you may have to take the second highest point cost and move it to space number two. Mm -hmm. So that can mess up with what you have planned on those little spots you have underneath there with the cards. The cards move with you, but... You may have had a card that lets you reactivate a farm if it's on either side of you, and you had to move it to where there's a city on either side of you. They well, play guess with what? The, the spatial relationship of where the tiles are on your tableau, as well as what's still surviving. There's a lot of great mechanics in this. It does not outlast its welcome. It right. plays just the right amount of time there. It's not difficult to tear down, set back up. It's an impressive game. I have played it three or four times so far, and I've loved it every time. It's got a handful of things going for it that stand out. One, the decisions are rapid fire, and they're important. Like, anytime, it's like, oh, do I bid? Do I pass? What do I do? What? They they took that disaster? There were only two resources on right? Mm-hmm. There's There's those surprising things that happen. Also, when you do take on a disaster, sometimes you're weighing like, okay, it's only a six-point token you know one of my tiles I, right. I, you know they range in points it's not my 32 point city i don't want to lose that one but at the end of the day they're all important you can't just oh, yes. fall way behind on military you certainly can't fall behind on your economy you can't fall behind <laughs> on any of these things and then as you start building them up by like okay i took on two disasters so i slid the cards and i got their benefits and i put them underneath some tiles well those benefits only matter if that tile that i slid it under is healthy So now that tile that I put it under is that much more important. So you're constantly like adjusting the value of the various tiles that you have. And oh, it's just what a fun game. Plays in about an hour. Scott, I got to ask you, uh, what was this like 45 bucks? I think it can be found for any downside. If I had to, I'll just, I'm not going to ask you. I want to say if I had to point out a downside, man, I don't like those resource tokens. I was kind of hoping that that would have gotten a little bit better for the final production. It's Mm -hmm. just screen printing on a piece of wood. You know, it's not subpar, but it looks blurry. Like the the final piece, what's on the table, it doesn't do much to catch the eye. It does a, a lot of things there. I mean, hearing that in your hand, the little wooden pieces in your hand and everything, uh, Ooh, that's a nice little touch clay. there. Yeah, yeah. The version I got came with both the wooden tokens and the cardboard ones. Mm-hmm. So they're both pretty much the same. The cardboard ones do come out a lot cleaner looking. Okay. But yeah, I, I do agree that that could be done a little bit better there. But still, I, I really, truly love that game. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm-hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything 
from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. Boy, I tell you what, it was fun uh, actually breaking out our custom board this past week at SCG. Four-player yes, games yes. going. How much fun is that? It was a great time. And the great part about it was how many people were just like, I have no idea what Croconole is. What is this? And they were into <laughs> it immediately. Oh, man. If we were playing. We had team games, two-on-twos going, and then people are getting it into the middle and 20 points. And you know, there's cheering going on. And oh, you know, the fantastic game. Adventures, check out Brown Castle Games. Best Croconole stuff you can find. Absolutely. I want to talk about Between Two Cities, the Essential Edition, because this yes. is one that we had on the table recently. We've been doing a lot of gaming lately, and I'm really yeah, happy with yeah, that. Yeah, we have been. Yeah, I feel like our uh, our relationship is rekindled. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Essential Edition of Between Two Cities, this is one that we got from Stonemeyer. So the story goes, when you sign up to be on their mailing list, let's rewind. I was like, why the heck didn't we get Expeditions or Apiary or any of these big blockbuster Stonemeyer games? Mm -hmm. And people, why are we not getting those? Well, we never actually signed up on their list of potential <laughs> reviewers. Sorry. Uh, so I signed up and I got an email a couple days later saying, hey, thank you so much for signing up. Please pick one of these, you know, a small handful of games. My Little Scythe. Uh, we'll, we'll just say smaller games and, and games that we have. Tapestry. Sure. Uh, I think it had Pendulum in there, but I haven't heard much good about it. And I was like, you know what? I played Between Two Cities once years ago, just the regular mm -hmm. edition, and I remember it was kind of cool. I want to get this Essential Edition and see what's going on. So they sent it to us. They said, get it in an episode. Let us know when you do. So you're welcome, Jamie. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's trash this game. No, I'm just kidding. Between Two Cities. Uh, the, the concept here, why between, is because it plays three to seven players, and the play is going to happen in between the players. So mm -hmm. picture. Picture it's game night, right? You and your, your your spouse, you invited over two other couples. So there's six of you sitting around the table, and you're going to be playing as a partner with the person on your left and the person on your right. And between the two of you, you're going to make a city using these tiles. All these tiles, most of them being a, we'll call it a one by one. It takes up a single space. There are doubles, but let's let's just focus on the singles for now. You got a big pile of them in the middle. And they're going to depict various things like office buildings and restaurants and industry. Think like SimCity on your computer back in uh, 1993. Oh, yes. So that's that's the premise here. You're going to pick up seven of those tiles, uh, nine of them, nine of them face down. And you're going to give them a look and you're going to pick two and you're going to pass the remaining seven to your left. And then everybody, before picking up their pile, everybody's going to look at the two that they picked. They're going to put one in between the person to their left where where mm -hmm. you're building a city with that person and one to your right. So you as an individual place one to your left, one to your right. But those people did that too. So the city on your left now has two tiles and the city on your right also has two tiles. Now, what's the purpose of the tiles? Uh, it's kind of what you would expect. Forests are going to score points based on being in bunches. Offices score points like you have one office, great, you got one point. Two offices, you got three points. Three offices, you got eight points, right? All oh, and up, up, up. Industry is going to score based on who had the most industry tiles in their city overall. They get four points a tile. Who had the second most? They only get three points a tile. Everybody else, nah, they're only worth two. 
Then some things care about what's next to them. Houses care about not being next to industry. Mm -hmm. Then you have those buildings uh, with the the civics buildings. They care about, okay, this one wants to be next to offices and forests, but it will lose points if it's next to houses. You run into things like that too. So the premise of the game, when you select your two tiles and you've passed your stack to the left and everybody's waiting to pick up their stack, they got to place their tiles. What do you do? You're meant to speak with the person to your left and speak with the person to your right. You know, strategize together. Okay, I picked this. You picked that. What are we going to do here? How are we going to – okay, I'm th- we, we both picked a forest. Okay, that's cool. So we're going to keep our eyes open for forest moving forward. Okay, person on my left, and you do it again, right? And you're trying to make mm-hmm. the best city you can. So you're going to keep passing those tiles until – Everybody's run out. Then round two, you're passing the other way, and you're using these double tiles. And you only get to place, I think it's one. Yeah. So the double tile, and they're oriented. Some of them are horizontal, so it's going to be left, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a great little touch there. Finally, a third round where everybody's going to pick up nine of the regular single tiles, and they're going to do that draft yet again, picking two tiles each time, strategizing with the person on their left and their right. So the end game in between two cities, who's going to win? Well, it's this not going to be- This is the part be... that got me. <laughs> this got me. Yeah, you have to focus on both of your cities. I can't just make one of them the crap city and the other one awesome. You are going to score whatever your lowest city is. So if I had a 70-point city to my right and a 45-point city to my left, I scored 45, right? You're going to go around and what are the lowest uh, scored cities? Now, amongst those lowest scored cities, who did the best? So mine was 45, and uh, I'm sharing that city with you, Scott. But on the other side of you, the city that you built with Tom is worth 52. That's Tom's lowest score. Mm -hmm. Tom has effectively beaten me because his 52 is the highest of the lowest scores. But Tom shares that with Lena because his first city is with you. And that's the 45.1. On the other side of him is Lena, and that's a 52-point city. So Tom and Lena will say both tied with 52 as their lowest score that is the best city. Then you just look on the other side. Well, what did you score for your other city? Add that to the total. Whoever has the highest at that point wins the game. Tell me, what do you think about between two cities? Well, first of all, I was surprised because I was really dead set that this was going to be like some sort of medieval themed game. Why? I don't know. I had no idea it was more of like a industrial type of, of game. So that surprised me right there. The other thing I really liked is I love Seven Wonders. And this was kind of a take on it, but differently. Instead of just taking things from people on either side, you're working with them to mm-hmm. try and make it bigger in between you. So that was such a, a very unique take on this game here. I really enjoyed the whole idea of trying to, like... The residential houses, you got so many points if you got them all in a line. All those different rules with that, trying to work out the puzzle to get it work out the way that you want it to. And then you stop and remember, I don't want a really, really high score on one side or the other. I got to start like pumping the brakes on this side here and trying to keep them close or hit the accelerator on this side and bring that one up to the other side. So it was just a a very neat mechanic there of trying to balance 
those two sides of the city and everything as you're building them. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. I like that it's approachable. You can play this with casual yeah. gamers. And while there might be a little bit of information overload with the tiles, like the first play, people are going to be like, wait, how does this score again? But by the third, fourth play, you're going to know what each of the buildings do and how they score. I like that. I like the fact that you're actively working with the, the people on each side, yeah. but it's not a full-on co-op. A drawback, if I had to cite one, is, you know, I want to talk to the person on my right, but the person on my left just tapped me on the shoulder, so I look that way, and then the person on the right, by the time, okay, now, back to you. <laughs> and they're talking to the person on the other side of there, it's like, wait a minute, I can't talk to two people at once, and neither can they. Oh, we just got to take our time and, and go over these things. But it was fun. You know, for a game that plays in about 45 minutes, it was really satisfying. Hmm. It's something that you can easily explain to people how to play it. It's not something that you're going to go through, okay, you're going to do this, Oh, but only whenever this happens. And then if this happens, you won't do that. It comes across very easy to play. I think everyone picked up on the game very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Gotta love that it plays up to seven, which is pretty yes. awesome. You'll recall about a month ago or so, we had the Lobster Game Day that I had you come over. There were, what, seven or eight of us. And it was like, yeah. holy smokes. So we had the two-table thing going, but I was like, well, one person left. We can all do something big. And, you know, we break out just one or whatever. But, man, that would have been a clutch one to have. So, oh, yeah. What makes this the Essentials Edition? Old School Between Two Cities, I think it was a 2015 game, came out, and they had the Capitals expansion. This takes the best part of Capitals. Primarily, you have this little mat that starts in between you, and it's going to add a little rule. Like, the the one map has a bridge, and the bridge says you're going to get bonus points for things on each side. And every single city has a mat that's going to give some kind of an asymmetric, oh, by the way, while you're building over here, don't forget that this city can do X. And the city on your left does Y. You know, you can score different points this way. And it kind of makes you reprioritize the tiles a little bit. Not my favorite Stonemeyer. You know, let, let's pump our brakes just a minute. You know, if we had to point out flaws like I like to. One, it is, like I said, it's hard to talk to two people at the same time. Two, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the scoring is just convoluted. Like, it's really hard after four or five tiles have gone into each city to determine, okay, how many points is this? Where, where are we at? Yeah. You just start going, well, I have five offices. It makes sense to put an office. Never mind that you ain't looking at anybody else's city across the table and adding up their scores. You have no idea. It's no. just build, 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 and hope that you're in the running in the end. And, you know, we we're all pretty close by the end of it. Yeah, it did end up being a very close game there. And the other thing also, you only have so much room that you can build your city to be. We had, what, a five by four yeah, I think uh, we're doing five area four, that right? we're building on. So mm -hmm. it is a set, and I, I'm guessing, well, would it always be five by, I guess it would always be five by four there, no matter how many people are playing. Yeah, going base, it's always going to be the same because you're always pulling the same amount of tiles each time. So in between each city, will end up the same. All in all, I think it's a great game for whenever you have a larger crowd and uh, you're playing something that you want to get through quick that's not overly complex. Truly enjoyed my experience playing Between Two Cities. Scott, we have time for one more, and I'll let you decide. I feel much better with going on Lunar Rush. All right. I was kind of hoping you'd say that because I just got mine <laughs> in. We'll, we'll, spit, we'll save Dice Manor. Not for next episode because we're going to talk two-player games next episode. Yes. So we'll push Dice Manor into a, hey, that's going to be on the uh, the first episode of season four. Tell me about Ooh. Lunar Rush. This is one that we, uh, we had Skippy on some time back talk, telling us about it. I take it you got your Kickstarter into. 
Uh, actually, no, I I didn't back it. I'm <gasps> sorry. Well, you knew that I did. Tom backed it. Jack did. All right. <laughs> so Jack was another one. He's uh, one that listens to the podcast and he follows our directions and he backs a lot of things, much oh. to his wife's chagrin. Yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. <laughs> So Jack broke out some Lunar Rush. I wasn't there that day. I What, two players, three players? Three players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great to be able to play the game and not play it in a con atmosphere. Whenever I played it the first time, we were there with Will Brown at PAX, I think it was. And it was just the real quick, here you go, here's a couple turns, here's what you can do. Oh, you can do this, you can do this. Okay, you got it? Okay, good. Next, and they're just like, oh, okay, that seemed cool, but this was a great time to sit down, and we got to break this out, and really, I, I got the chance to really dig into this, and oh my god, I yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself for not backing this one now, because I had a, an mm-hmm. absolute blast playing this, because with this, you are sending astronauts to the moon bringing astronauts back from the moon, you're mining stuff on the moon, you're sending supplies to the moon, you're building buildings on the moon, all these things going on, but you have to follow the setup routes that are there. So you can hurry up and boom, lickety split, get up to the moon, one turn. Well, you can only take one thing with you or two things with you, and that's it. You can take a little bit longer time there, you can take a few more supplies with you to the moon, or you can take the nice the listen to the love boat theme in the background and take your time going to the moon and take a ton of stuff with you but you're going to be there what uh four times slower than the fast one as you get things up there you start building habitats you start building energy you start building different ways to mine stuff all these things are going on. It becomes a little worker placement game on your oh, personal yeah. board. That's your moon board, and you can start using your guys, your astronauts, to activate and create these minerals and whatnot that mm-hmm. you're going to ship back to Earth. And you know what? There's a speed track to get back to Earth, too. Yes, there is. One of my favorite parts of that, you have an economic track at the bottom. Whenever mm-hmm. you bring all these minerals back from the moon, you get so much money for those. Well, if you time things out, you may get back after someone just had this whole big, huge load. They dropped off and, well, there's too much uh, supply for it. So the demand is really low. So you make a lot less than what the first person did. Or you get that one special item down there, that one big gold nugget. Boom, get it down there right away, and you get like 42 points for it. And it is just such a great feeling whenever things time out just perfectly. Even better when you see that someone's got a boat full of that gold, and they're on their way to sell four pieces, and you're like, oh, I can take two down. I can sell these two, and it's going to it's gonna tank the market. So by the time they get there with their four, oh, okay. So the game has – it's got some bidding mechanisms going on What with bidding for the routes. You've right. got worker placement while you're on the moon and resource production. And then when you get back, it's got that uh, – we'll call it a supply and demand economy. So I'm going to ask you – Having played the full game, I thought you played it with me on Tabletop Simulator with Skippy and Will way back no, in the day. No, no, Fair enough. You know, it might have been Will and I that did that episode. Okay. Haven't played the full game. What are your thoughts? I really, really enjoyed it. I'm a huge fan of worker placement games. 
big check mark right there for me. The bidding aspect, I, I, I can go either way on it, but it's not like you're losing things as far as making the bids and everything like that. So that one works out well there. I do like that. Now, what about Jack? Um, Jack backed it on our recommendation. Did mm-hmm. you gather that Jack? Well, I mean, of course, we're going to say that Jack loved it and that we made a great recommendation. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Jack really, really enjoyed it. He went the whole ball and chain. He got the mat. He got actual oh, yeah. metal bits. He got everything. Great production, great gameplay. And this is another one that I think you go through it and you explain it well to people that even aren't that familiar with gaming you can get them into playing this game relatively quickly which is surprising because it is it's firmly medium if not oh, maybe yeah, even yeah. medium heavy when you start incorporating modules and some of the upgradable things that you can add to your base and additional worker placement spots and unlockable and upgraded like on the surface the rule set is not that complicated right but once you start getting into the play of the game, you're like, oh, wow, there's there's yeah. a lot of things that I can do here and a lot of things to consider, especially with the timing. And then you throw in the bidding for the routes. Love this game. Yeah, whenever you get that aha moment, everything opens up. Now you have all these more decisions to make. And that's whenever you're just like, yeah, let's, let's get into this game now. So it, it really very, very cool. Lunar Rush, definitely check this game out. Are you crying? (laughs) I missed him last week. Did you hear Josh and I gave him a hero's welcome? (laughs) I know, and I feel that I've taken advantage of him. Scott, it's time to talk the top 100 update. We've got Prime. (laughs) Well, that was quick. You got over that. (laughs) I can't help but feel like you're faking it. Prime Movers, we've got Obsession up three spots to number 80. No doubt propelled by the recent campaign for the character's expansion. And obviously, Level Up's episode featuring Dan Halligan himself. Falling stars through the ages. Not new story. The old one with the board is down two spots, number 82. I'm surprised it's still in the top 100 after all this time. And normally a new, new version of a game comes out, and that's kind of the death knell. The old game's time is limited, but through the ages was way way up there it's still hanging on it's at number 82 no debuts in the top 100 and no changes in the top 10 however we do have some highest peaks frost haven is up to number 49 sleeping gods at 51 heat pedal to the metal up to 57 cthulhu death may die is up to number 70 as we mentioned obsession at number 80 and inish is up to 97 how about that oh uh, I, I think it's about time i get it off my uh Shelf here, and we get a game of that in. Let's talk some birthdays. Cthulhu Death May Die has been in the top 100 for one year. Pandemic Legacy Season 0, two years. Everdell, four years. Agricola, Revised Edition, five years. Kingdom Death Monster, six years in the top 100. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 for eight years. Fields of Arla, eight years. And good old Agricola. Scott, how long have you hated that game? It feels like forever, but uh, 12 years? <laughs> 16. Oh. Believe but then that? the uh, Kingdom Death May Die, uh, or Kingdom Death Monster, six years on there. Didn't it take six years to get sent out, too? It took forever, I understand. <laughs> well, they had a campaign, I think, in 2018 or 2019, and there's people that still haven't gotten their, their bits from oh, it. Wow. I understand they all get them in time. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's worth it because the game is expensive as hell. I will tell you. 
I think I showed you. I've been oh, painting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you – I was going to save it for Mike and Brendan for one of these days at the cabin. But when you are ready, if you want to indulge in the death of the kingdom monster, <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, okay. I like it. How about you do the walkthrough for Snapship Tactics? You got it. Hey, adventurers. King Scott here, and today in our 8-Bit Breakdown, we're talking about Snapship's Tactics. Released in 2023, designed by Josh Dirksen, and published by Snapships. Snapship Tactics is a tactical miniatures game where you control a ship or ships fighting for dominance in the universe. The ships in this game, you create yourself. There are a lot of ways that this can be done, and I will let this part of the game alone for the adventurers to explore on your own. So, for the game part, you have a display in front of you. This will be made up of your main chassis of your ship and the parts that make it up. Engines, weapons, shields, etc. So, let me break down the turns for you. Phase 1 is your chassis action. In this, you reset evasion step, you vent, and you move. Phase 2 is the parts action, and Phase 3 is end of activation effects. Now, during the first phase of the game, and the first turn, you only have to worry about the movement step. On the part cards in front of you, the basic movements of your chassis are listed as well as the energy you have each turn, a number of cubes. Each item that you activate will cost a number of, yep, you guessed it, cubes. Do you want to move? Do you want to shoot? Your choice, spend your energy wisely. You can continue to activate parts of your ship as long as you have the energy. When you shoot, you will roll a number of D10s and try and beat the enemy's evasion number or their defense. If you do, you hit. If you happen to roll well and get a critical hit, a 10, you can force your opponent to damage a part of their ship. They will flip it over and will have to spend energy to repair it before it's used again. Finally, if there are any end-of-turn actions, you can take them now. Remember when I said you only did one part of the first phase on your first turn? Well, it's your second turn now. Now you're able to reset your evasion number on your ship, its defenses, as well as vent the energy spent your last turn. This will free up your energy to lead you to your next turn and hopefully your victory. There are a lot of little details in this game that are similar in the other tactical skirmish games. Patrick is dipping his toes into this world and let's see if he sinks or swims when we break down Snap Ship's Tactics. Welcome to the future where humanity is under siege from a brutal alien threat known as the Complex. To defeat them, the pilots in the forge fly modular spacecraft known as Snapships. Agile fighters, fast attack craft, armored bombers, and more. The best ship is the one you create. Hey, thanks, King, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Snapship Tactics. Adventurers, as you know, we like to do the 8-bit breakdown, where we look at eight facets of a board game, tell you all about it, starting with art and components, and we finish off with was it fun and who's this game for? King, we're going to start with the art and components. What do you got to say about them? All right. Well, art and components, well, I had a little bit of a sneak peek 
I don't remember if it was just an ad on Facebook or what it was. I saw an ad for snap ships. I got a few of the kits and I put them together and I was just enthralled by them. I had an absolute blast with these. These are similar to Legos in a way, mm-hmm. but better in that. It's- well, no, no, you just wait there a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Legos okay. are like the best toy. They're like Legos, but different in good ways. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. So each one of these kits that you would get, you could build each one of these ships three different ways. It's wonderful. You pop them together. Hey, look, you got something there. It's really cool. You have a little cockpit you open up. You put a pilot in there. Boom. It's great. They decided to make a game out of this as well. So I already knew the components. The components were great. I was already on board with that. The artwork in this is, I mean, there's there's not that much to it because you have cards that have the pieces that go in the chassis. You mm-hmm. have markers that will mark debris or uh, black holes, different nebulas, things like that that will happen in space. So there's minor artwork that you have on there. But what they have is very clear very easy to read, look at, and figure out. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on board with the art and components. So you're telling me this was a toy first? Yes, yes, it was. I didn't know that. Yeah, and you can pick them up on Amazon really relatively inexpensive, like fourteen bucks, something like that. Oh, that uh, seem so whereas bad. you're thinking getting an X-wing figure. You're going to be probably be paying upwards of 19 bucks for one figure that's painted, granted, and a few cards. Well, you said it. Aside from the box, the art's kind of minimal. Uh, and like most games with miniatures, center stage is given to the plastic. And mm-hmm. this one's a bit of a different animal. Uh, like you said, it's like Legos meet a board game. I was happy to see these uh, pieces. They pressure fit into one another and they didn't wobble. They didn't feel cheap. You know, there's always this yep. worry that like, okay, when I when I plonk this in here, is it just going to like... No, everything (laughs) holds where it's supposed to hold. In fact, some of them are like customizable. You put those, like you had those arm wings on that little like cutter ship of yours and like you could tip them up so that they were like, like a Y or you could Mm -hmm. tip them down. So it like straight across like a T and that was really cool. I like that. Yours Uh, had like the claw wings on it that could like come together in the front or open up wide depending mm -hmm. on what you want to do. So all sorts of things. I love that adding missile launchers to your ship means you're going to actually have to have the, like, you're going to make them work. Like if I want mm-hmm. to use the missile launchers card, I got to plunk those two pieces on my ship. Well, then you're building the same ship every time. No, make it your own. You get mm-hmm. anywhere that you see a little spot, plunk a missile launcher in there. That's fun. The system of using the translucent cubes to track activations and heat across your ships, that works really well. The iconography is easy. This game has simple templates for movement, for rotating. Dude, the rotating, it's built onto the end of the template and it's just got, it's marked in white. It's so easy. I like that. Honestly, no complaints whatsoever with the art uh, and no complaints with the components. In fact, the components are a highlight, especially if you love the idea of tinkering with your ship and giving it like a unique loadout. The toy factor, I don't want to say the toy factor is the game because mm-hmm. there's plenty of game going on. But like when we talk art and components, the toy factor is what, what is the draw here. Yeah. One of the things also is, like you said, you can build up something different each and every time. You have a main card that has a chassis and it will show you how do you put together 
well, eight to ten of the little squares. And they're like your base that you build everything off They're of. just blocks. They're just yes. blocks with holes so you can plonk things in. And then, oh, here's a card for wings. Where do I want to put the wings? I'll put the wings here. Okay, here's a card for the guns. Let's put the guns up on top instead of under the bottom this time. All right, you need a cockpit. Well, let's put the cockpit off to the side like on the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> let's be a little asymmetrical with the pieces. Let's do something different. There's a Facebook group. People are going nuts with all these different ways to build the ships. I've yet to see anything that even looks remotely next to, like, similar to things that are on there. Um, Dude, you know how in, like, uh, Star Wars Armada, you can yeah. play with the gigantic Star Destroyers? Mm -hmm. You know, you know it's only a matter of time until they give oh, you no. one that, like, the chassis is 36 pieces and you can build this mega, like, car carrier has arrived. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, can you imagine? Someone has. Oh, they <laughs> 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 Scott, let's move to bit number two. The theme yes. and immersion. Theme is a space battle. You basically got toy ships dogfighting in space. So, uh, well, yeah, it's a bit different from how we're normally approaching theme and immersion here. Uh, this being more of a miniatures game than a board game. But, I mean, you can't get much more immersed in the action than when, like, you have your head down next to the table right behind your ship. And you're going, beep, beep, and you're moving. Like, can it get more immersive than uh, aside yes. from actually getting into a spaceship? Yes. How so? As I said, this was a toy line beforehand, and all good toy lines have what? Uh, I don't know, an accompanying cartoon? They do. And there is an accompanying cartoon to right? this as well. <laughs> I'm on And today. it goes through a whole story of this one young pilot as he learns from being a mechanic, getting into be a pilot, and all the different ships that they fight against. And you see what is great with the Forge and what's great against the enemies. They have, I think it's like an eight-episode uh, arc of like 10-minute episodes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Really well done. Even the toys themselves, they have an app for Apple, I believe it is, where you can build them like augmented reality on your iPad if you want to. Oh, so, wow, so this, there's this all sorts of things with this here. Oh, That's yes, yes. Awesome. There's a lot more to the background of this game than was seen just in this game. You know what? I start to worry whenever I play a miniatures game that it's going to be, okay, we're just going to like fly our two ships next to each other and start, you know, blasting away. But I like that they give you some terrain. They give you asteroid yes. fields. They give you basically some reason to position in different spots on your table. Like I don't – one-on-one, -on -one, two spaceships. It's like, okay, we're just going to fly at each other. And that mm -hmm. wasn't really the case. There was a bit of positioning. There was, oh, I want to get into this nebula so I can recharge more energy. But he's in an asteroid field, so he's got extra protection. Uh, oh, we got out of the asteroid field. Now's my chance. You know, like there is a little bit of a cat and mouse going on. And, and I thought that was thematically really cool. Yes, yes. Let's go to bit number three, the complexity. I got to say, coming from a – background of playing these type of games with x-wing and armada i'm a little bit ahead of the curve with playing these type of games right I, just seeing the bases seeing the the movement tool everything is similar to what i've played before but the nice thing about this is that you are playing on a three by three square yes these ships are a lot bigger and you are getting into combat much much quicker but the nice thing about it is you still have to maneuver around. The complexity is 
trying to see where you're going to be because you can't just sit still and wait for your opponent to get to you. You are moving each and every turn. So you have to keep that in mind whenever you're playing this. Uh, but other than that, it's not very complex at all. You have all the cards in front of you. They have symbols for it. Back of the rule book, you have a whole list of what these symbols mean. Great explanation on these things. Mm-hmm. Everything comes out wonderfully done. And it's very simple to play. You shoot things, you run the heat. Oh, well, we got to get rid of the heat somehow. The next turn around, we'll get rid of some heat. Maybe we'll run into an ice field. That'll help us get rid of some more of the heat. It seems like a lot. The rule book looks like a lot. There's a, it's, well, what is it here? 39 pages. Holy smokes. But it goes through how to build your games, how to play with teams, how to play with multiple ships. You have a lot of scenarios that you're playing. There's all sorts of things in this book along with the rules. So it's not just 39 pages of rules. It's 39 pages of rules, scenarios, customization, rules, all those kind of things are in that. You know what? I don't come from the I've played on, you know, with miniatures on the tabletop background. So this was a little newer to me. Dude, it is easy. Primary system at place using those energy cubes and the heat cubes to activate your cards. And the cards that we mentioned, they're associated with various parts on your ship. You got a big gun? There's a card for it, and it shows you how much energy and how much heat you need in order to fire it. You need more movement? Activate your thrusters. Cost a couple cubes. So on your turn, you move, and then you get to take five of the cubes off your cards. There you go. That's your complexity. Combat is a simple system of rolling uh, 10-sided dice, needing an Mm -hmm. X or greater, usually some small number increased by your opponent's shield value, right? I think maybe to wrap up complexity, it's, it's easy to learn. Right. I, I worry that, oh, no, you know, I'm going to have to learn all sorts of systems. No, it's remarkably easy to learn and it's very intuitive to play. All their symbols are very well done. You're going to know what you're doing within a round. Yes. Well, that, that's me tapping into the learning curve. Uh, how about you take the rule book? Well, I tapped into the rule book a little bit before there as well, too. <laughs> it does seem big. It does seem daunting, but it's not bad. It goes through all the possible problems you may run into. They have something in there to cover it. Giving you the scenarios, giving you the rules for multi-ship games, giving you the rules for team play. All those different things there are in the rule book. So it's not only a rule book, but it's a whole game book to expand the game to however big you want it to be. Scott, bit number five is where we have a look at the meat of the game. When we play a board game, there's always something that puts our brain to task or this is what you have to master to play well. Where's the meat in Snapship Tactics? Well, the meat of the game is your imagination. The great thing about this is you set up what your ship's going to be. You have your chassis. You have all the guns. You have the wings. You have the, the engines. Well, how do you want to build it? however you want it to look. That's one of the great things about it there. I think that's really the great thing with this game, that you're able to build this any way that you want to, make it your game. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really makes this game so special, so very, very good. It allows you to make the game what you want it to be. What did you think the meat of the game was? You know, in game, the meat of the game is going to be 
like if I had to actually identify it, I would say it's managing your actions mm-hmm. and managing your heat. Like there's an answer yes. that pertains to the gameplay. But I'm going to hearken back to good old Magic the Gathering. And I don't even really even know what hearken means. Uh, playing a game of Magic is fun, right? You're casting spells, attacking planeswalkers, invoking Armageddon, and occasionally you get to twiddle a bone flute. Seriously. But you know what might just be as much fun as playing the game is scheming up new ideas for decks, thinking of what neat little tweaks you can make to concoct that perfect creation. That's fun. Scott, when I was in middle school, I used to sit in my bedroom flipping through the back of InQuest magazine and writing down the names of the cards that I just had to try out in my next deck. And that was just as much fun, if not more fun, than actually playing the game. Now we talk about snapships, it's going to tap into that a little bit. Sitting down with a handful of those blocks that make up the chassis of a ship and meticulously picking, you know, like you, you got your fingers and you're going through each of the little guns. Mm-hmm. Which one do I want to add this game? What card's going to be perfect? This one takes a lot of heat. So what can I do to reduce it? Oh, I know these thrusters are going to be perfect. Like trying to create that perfect loadout and then attach the actual pieces in some badass way to your ship. That's just as much meat to me as the actual mechanisms within a turn. And damn it, I like it. Well, I think this really leads into the replayability, the variability of this game. We don't Uh, even have to talk variability, do we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the great thing with this is that there are cards you can get to add on to this with other pieces that are in the sets. Mm -hmm. So you can build on to what is in this base set. 20 bucks you get this extra little section here here's all these extra parts that are in the sets but they didn't cover in the main set so you have actual missile launchers you have yes there are missiles that launch in this game too you can hit the little buttons and pew 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 for real why didn't we have that in our set (laughs) why didn't you set me up with one of those well it wasn't in the in the box there i'm sorry i apologize we'll get it for the next time we should clarify. We're we're reviewing this review is of the the base. It's the constructible miniatures yes. game. The starter box. Uh, it's got the constructible miniatures game. Is what it what they titled it. Yeah, and it was provided to us by the publisher very very kindly, and we've had a blast with this. And I even told them whenever they we were talking to them about this, I'm like. I took pictures and I said, I'm a fan already. And I held up my boxes of my snapshots and they're like, okay, we'll get it to you. <laughs> but the replayability, this is where I have a little bit of a problem because yes, it is fun to play. You will have a good time with this, but until you get to that point where you get more ships into it, it could possibly get a little bit samey. And then once you get more ships into it, you've really got to expand the area you're playing in mm-hmm. because that three by three if you have six ships on a three by three area oh forget you're going to be just pump them into each other constantly bumper cars yeah yeah and that's uh, a real problem there so i think that this is a great start where they're starting at and i think they probably do have good ideas ongoing i've talked to the designers of this at a couple shows they have huge, big, like, bins of this stuff at shows, and you just build whatever you want to, and it'll put them up, and they'll show them off to everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yes, packs Unplugged. We'll have to go build some ships at, at uh, <laughs> Snap Ships. But, yeah, I think that's the big thing is that they really need to look on how this game is going to expand and how the game is going to grow 
I really don't want to see it uh, stagnate and kind of go nowhere once it gets too big for everything. Well, let's put it to you. Let's put it this way. Replayability and variability. Yes, variables are off the chart. Replayability is going to be, uh, we'll say, TBD to be yeah. determined. Um, Good way. I, I think if you just have the starter box, each of the factions, uh, the faction, one faction gets one ship. The other faction gets one ship, and they give you three different ways that you can build the ship, but no matter how you spin that, you're going to have one-on-one plays where you're going to follow a similar arc of flying towards each other, jockeying for position, shoot, wash, rinse, repeat. You start playing with two or three ships per player, that's going to make it more interesting. Play a team game, now we're talking. Four-player free-for-all, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, that the replayability, as you mentioned, it's going to depend on whether or not this game catches some fire, right? If Mm -hmm. this is all we ever get is this base box, that's fine. You'll break it out from time to time. You'll enjoy it. Yes. If we get some stuff to add on to it, if they, you know, if if some stores find that they have a, a ground swell of, hey, let's make a tournament, you know, four people turns into six, turns into eight, that sort of thing. I don't think it's going to catch fire. You know, it's not like a CCG. But so long as it gets enough of a following that they have incentive to make more ships, more Mm -hmm. items, more cards, that's going to keep me coming back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Uh, I know some of the newer sets that they have, they have mechs that they have built. So, hey, we got to get ground combat in somehow. Let's do it. Once again, we're jumping ahead on some of these things here, talking about downsides now. For bit number seven, and I think we really kind of covered it in that the downside really comes with if we don't get more things with this game, it could die and it's not going to go anywhere. And that's that's a problem there. But other than that, I think the main thing with me is the three by three area is a little tight to play by. Now, you are going to be having a short move area whenever you're using the movement template, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like a little Boop, jump there whenever you're playing, whenever you're used to playing X-Wing and you're moving 12 inches, things like that. It it takes a little bit to wrap your head around that you're going just such a small movement each time that you're playing. But it does work in the strategy and the scale of what you're doing with this game here. So I would say that's probably the biggest downside with me is the small area that you play in. Hmm. Well, you're right, Scott. I jumped the gun on this one. Uh, for my downsides, I'm just saying, you know, it's it's kind of early in the run for this this franchise, this game system. We've only got a couple of factions to play with, but you know what? They give us more weapons, more cockpits, more attachments, all that stuff. I can see this expanding and getting even better. Downside being that with what they have right now, it's got the potential to eventually run stale. Also, much like Legos, stepping on them hurts like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the final bit we have here is, was it fun and who's it for? Yes, it was fun. We had a good time playing it. I look forward to playing it again. I definitely am looking forward to playing it again. I'm looking forward to mixing things up, building my own ships the next time, seeing how things change up. Mm-hmm. Who's it for? This is this is really for people who like to build things. If you like Legos, this is a nice little offshoot of Legos to play with. You get the similar joy out of playing this and building this. Because I'm sorry, you have a very hard time building a spaceship with this and not holding it up and going, whoosh, 
<laughs> doing the sounds pew, pew, and everything. Pew, pew, pew. You cannot put these things together and not do that. So, really, it's for just about anybody that likes dogfighting or likes spaceships, likes the idea of recreating different dogfights from Star Wars or any number of space opera type of movies you can think of. It's just really a, a fun, fun game there. What did you think? You know, before I say what I think, Scott, you know, if I'm listening to you and I talk, which I do after every episode goes yeah. live, uh, you know what? I might be thinking to myself, okay, they're talking an awful lot about how cool it is to build these things. And they're like Legos, Toy Factor, it's neat, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the gameplay itself you know, they're, they're not saying, oh, is this gameplay living up to the fun and the excitement of building the ships? Let's suppose that you don't get to build the ships and it's just the little planes, you know, you, mm -hmm. you get what you get. The game itself, was it fun? I will have to say yes. I'm actually looking at the cover of the rulebook here. Mm -hmm. And on it, they have one of the claw ships coming up behind one of the Ford ships. And just the idea of playing this game... And whenever you get things lined up just perfectly, that mm -hmm. you're behind your enemy ship, you're close enough, and you're going to open up fire on them. There's nothing like that feeling when you get everything to line up just exactly the way you want it to, and you're able to roll those dice for all the weapons you have on it. All the dice come up just the way you want it, and you can just imagine in your mind that this game is showing you that ship just blowing up in space. Yeah. Just the idea of being able to maneuver around and get to where you want to be. It's it's such a great, great feeling. Well, I was surprised with how much I actually enjoyed this. So this one came to me. Uh, they, I, I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, we'd, we'd love to, uh, to give this one a review. They sent me a copy. I opened the box and I was like, nope, this is Scott all over. <laughs> <laughs> so I've tried many skirmish games before and a lot of them do tend to fall flat. And maybe it's the lack of deep decisions that some of them have or how straightforward some of them are. Maybe it's the infinite possibilities of actions with dozens of models that some of the other ones have. Uh, this one gave me good customization, a relatively, a relatively quick play, and just enough decisions to feel like I have some agency in my play. And I think that it's going to get better when you start incorporating two or three ships per player. And I'm hoping that the future holds just that. Now, who's it for? I think, never mind the toy factor. If you like a game that lets you customize, think like trading cards games, think miniatures games, this one's going to be an easy winner for you because you can you can. Instead of going with a build that's in the rulebook, you say, okay, we're each going to build our own ship. You're allowed up to two guns, up to one missile launcher, and give it some kind of rules. And mm -hmm. what you make is yours, and it's yours alone, and that's kind of cool. I think that it's neat that younger gamers can get in on this as well. I think maybe ages eight and up, they might need some help with like – I, I don't know, making sure that their ship has thrusters, you know, <laughs> they might be forgetting. So oh, if I don't have this, I'm not gonna be able to, to maneuver very well. Right. But that's about it. Uh, make no mistake, though, while it is going to have some appeal for younger gamers for the toy factor, I thought it did a fine job of being engaging for us hobby board gamer old people types as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you wrapped it up there. So yes, that was Snapship's Tactics. It let's, was a blast. Let's do a time warp. Well, King, 
one year ago today, we had the opportunity to play and review Transmissions, the game with that adorable robot on the front and lovely art. Did I just say lovely? I told myself I was going to stop doing that from Matt (laughs) Dixon. So this was the game with uh, basically a big rondelle board going around collecting resources, upgrading the four robots that are on the board. You don't control one of them. Everybody collectively controls all of them. However, when you maneuver the red bot, you might do it in a different way than what other people do. Looking back on transmissions, what are your thoughts? Well, looking back on it, I have not played it and I have Mm -hmm. a hard time remembering exactly how to play it. But I know that it wasn't difficult to play. And I was absolutely enamored by the artwork, the little robots, by the idea of everyone using everything together. This would definitely be one if someone said, hey, do you want to play Transmissions? I'm like, give me a rehash on how to play. I'm in. I knew that I had just really a great time with it. It was a delightful game to play. It was fun. It was not too deep. It was just enough to keep you into the game without where a lot of times where if you're playing like a beer and pretzels game, it almost takes a backseat to the social aspect. This one just kept a little bit ahead of that, just so that you're involved with the game a little bit more than the social aspect of the game. Yeah, I would definitely play this game again if someone brought it up and suggested it. I would not. I'll be blunt. Uh, I remember you weren't a big fan of it. Like, yeah. No, you know what? The the decisions on a turn felt a little bit too obvious. I don't know. Something about it. I've since, like, when we talked about First Rat on the show, I was like, you know what? This is the game that I wanted Transmissions to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it falls into a bit of a trap where it sucks you in with the neat components and the robot miniatures and the wonderful art. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic scores on the production. And yet the gameplay itself is like, so I, I play three of my six cards or two or three, and then I'll see they, they just keep cycling the same six. Right. You know, it's not like I have much control over that. And then where I move the robots, I can't plan ahead because other people on their turn are moving robots and things are going to be covered. So I can't can't strategize ahead. I just think in the moment, maybe I'm trying to collect coffee cups from that junkyard and I pick up one. And maybe I see another one later. Maybe I see two more and somebody else snags them thinking, I'm going to be the cop. Well, there goes my strategy. So I felt like it was one of those, I'm just sitting there doing things. At no point did I feel like, wow, that was, I just did this big payoff moment. Mm -hmm. You know, you never stood up or got excited for your next turn. (laughs) Me, anyway. And at the end of the game, it's like you arbitrarily get some points for some of the stuff that you collected. I don't know. It it did did nothing for me. And and I think it wasn't something that taxed my brain, but it was an activity that I was doing with other people and it was enjoyable. So that's how I was looking at it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's look at it this way. One year later, I obviously, I'm not recommending it. I thought it was <laughs> last week. Last week we were talking about humanity and uh, I know you listened to the mm-hmm. episode. So Josh's comment was, I just don't understand why this game exists. <laughs> and it was because... There are mechanisms that we've seen before, not used in an inspiring mm-hmm. way, as he put it. And to me, while there were some unique things in this, where everybody customizes right. how they're going to move each robot, like they had some cool ideas, there was just no point of it. No, at no point that I feel like, wow, this is something that I want to get back to. So for me, I have a hard time giving this one the recommendation. But it sounds like you're pretty comfortable. Well, with it. I I don't think I would put this as a recommendation to buy. 
I do agree with what you said. I mean, it can get very samey very quickly. But this is one that if someone else has and they brought it up to play, yeah, I would definitely play this game again. And I would suggest if you have a chance, if you want something a little bit lighter to play, this definitely fits the bill. You know, as a listener of many, many podcasts, uh, board game podcasts, I'm always interested in hearing their look back because so often they'll talk about a game. And sometimes I'll find a podcast and I'll listen to their episodes from years ago uh-huh. and just catch up, like if I'm working on how some. So I'll hear an episode and they'll talk about XYZ game and, oh, this game's great. This game's fan- fantastic. I really love this game. And then a year later, you'll listen to their episode and they're like, oh, yeah, I haven't played it. Didn't do anything <laughs> for me. I'm like, wait a minute. I like to think that we're relatively consistent, and uh, I haven't gone back and listened a year ago, but I think those were roughly our thoughts. I think so as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So didn't didn't change much for either of us. Uh, Neither of us have played it. Uh, I'm not. Well, you have to see it set up and be invited, (laughs) so you ain't playing it ever again. And I'm not making you play it. (laughs) So I ain't playing it. Okay. uh, Fair enough. We'll leave it at that. Neat game. Good production. Not very high marks from us, Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. Well, Scott, we're going lengthy. I want to wrap this up. We want to get over to Andrew, and we're going to play What If Board Games for People. You ready for the music? Let's do it. Hi, guys. I'm Andrew Davidson. As the old saying goes, everyone is normal until you get to know them. Living with a roommate can present tricky situations, If you have a game collection, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that you enjoy living with it. Your collection is the perfect roommate. It's not loud. It's not messy. It doesn't eat your food or give you any sass. But what if, just what if, your board games were people and your roommates? So, pump up the volume, drag your roommate from their studies, because I'm pleased as punch to invite you to this segment of What If Board Games Were People, Roommate Edition. Alrighty guys, before we get started, a few ground rules. This edition contains nine questions. Answers must be games that are currently on your shelf, desk, broom closet, or what have you. Also, no repeat answers. Just try to have fun with it. Everyone got it? All right, guys. Then this is the Blues Riffin' B. Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. Here we go. Question 1. The Perpetual Pig Pen. Food is left out for days. Dirty socks and shirts are strewn about the apartment. The garbage hasn't been touched since the Reagan administration. Now, we all know people that are messy. Okay, maybe they don't warrant an appearance on hoarders, but they're headed in that disheveled direction, if you know what I'm saying. Sometimes we're forced to live with people that have a drastically different version of what constitutes as clean. In fact, having a messy roommate is so commonplace that it's practically a rite of passage. A perpetual pig pen game is a game with either a lot of setup, a lot of cleanup, or, best of all, a lot of both. What game of yours is a perpetual pig pen? 
All right, Scott, you know the rules. Answers must be games that are currently on the shelf and no repeat answers for question number one. As we just heard, Andrew's asking the Perpetual Pig Pen, a game with a lot of a lot of setup or teardown or both. What's your Perpetual Pig Pen board game? Well, my Perpetual Pig Pen board game is Merlin from Queen Games. Mm. I love this game. Absolutely love this game. But there's so much in this box with expansions that are in there. All the spaces are icons. So once you get everything finally laid out, then you realize, oh, wait, no, this doesn't go here. This goes here. Oh, then let's put this one over here. And by the time you're done, you have two or three rule books laying out to get what the (laughs) different icons (laughs) do for different expansions. And then you have two different parts of your place to put your dice that you roll. And everyone has that. And then there's four different. You've got so much stuff going on this that is just like design vomit all over this game. But (laughs) it's such a fun game. I love the game. Once I get into playing it, then, whoa, my head's just going into the whole thing of like, yeah, I need to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But getting to that point, Perpetual Pink Pen right there. Merlin from Queen Games. Been a long time since we played that one. Yes, it is. Scott, my Perpetual Pink Pen is on the table. If I just glance this way a little bit, I can see it, and it looks so good. It's Frostpunk. Uh, I'm all set to teach this, right? And it took literally an hour and a half to set this thing up. Now, it doesn't help that I got the upgraded copy. So I've got, you know, all these, these oh, yes. really cool little resources. I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to use? What do I sub in in place of that? Dude, thing is a table hog. You've seen my table. This thing goes oh, all yeah. the way to like 10 foot. I've got the leaf on the one end. My computer's over here, but I've probably got a six by four over there. And I don't have room for the like the mats wow. that the players have. It is massive you know what's doing it is it has the deck of scenario cards you got to put them in a certain order and then separate these cards anytime a game is like separate these cards if you're using this module add in these cards if you're doing this scenario make sure that you don't have this many meeples and each scenario has its own setup rules holy crap so this was set up before like eight months ago I took the hour and a half or whatever, and I put it on the table, and I was like, I can't just leave it here. The cat's going to knock it over, and I don't have the energy to do this right now, and I took it down. (laughs) Told myself, this is happening. Come hell or high water, this is happening, and I'm glad to say I've already soloed the game through once. Spoiler warning, Scott. We are going to get our asses kicked. Okay, okay. (laughs) It is hard. (laughs) We ain't going to win, but it looks beautiful, but it is a perpetual pig pen. Okay, wow. Back to Andrew. Question two, the late night lurker. Just because people live together doesn't mean they keep the same hours. If you've never tried to sleep with a raging kegger 15 feet from your door, then boy, you have not lived. A late night lurker is a game that needs to be started super early in the day or else it will keep you up much later than needed. What game of yours is a late night lurker. So the late night lurker, that one that you you know that you got to like spend the whole day. I think I know what yours is, so I won't even touch on that. <laughs> but mine is the cousin to that, and that is Eclipse. 
And this is one that, unlike yours, is enjoyable. Uh, I, I'll tell you. I, I let me interrupt you. I didn't pick Twilight Imperium because I thought okay. it's too obvious. I tried to switch it up, <laughs> but it is a long game. You want it to be a long game because, in my mind, you are actually building your civilization as you expand, as you get bigger. At PGX, we actually had to stop and come back the next morning to finish it up because I don't think I would have been in any mental state to actually finish out that game that night. I was so tired. No, we went another good hour and a half the next day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is one that you want to spend the time on playing. You don't want to rush. you have a lot of decisions to make. You have a lot of customization to do with that. So mine is Eclipse, what is Dawn of the Second Age? Close, try again. Don't look it up. I just want to hear how many tries you get. Oh, you're looking it up. Second no, Dawn. No. Oh, okay. Second Dawn for the galaxy. Okay, okay. <laughs> so what's yours, Patrick? Yeah, the obvious would have been Twilight Imperium, but uh, you know anybody can just pick a long game. You know what I went with was Descent, be it second edition oh. or be it Legends in the Dark. You know, you would think, okay, a dungeon crawl scenario, this is going to take uh, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And I just remember playing second edition, I would play it solo and I could get through a scenario in about an hour hour and a half and i even remember thinking wow i'm still going this is they they really put their time and energy into making these scenarios but i played it solo like five or six of these missions in preparation to teach the lobsters uh-huh. had them over and you know our game days we will go eight or nine hours and we'll oh, play yeah. four or five games and i was like we're gonna lead off with descent so we're playing descent at 11 we finished it like four o'clock Ooh. Four players doing a scenario. Now, that's not a problem because we're engaged. We're having a really good time with it. Oh, that's but good. But in hindsight, it's like, man, thank goodness we're not like, oh, we're going to play from 7 to 10 because we would not have finished that one. <laughs> My late night lurker, I'm going to go with Descent, second or third edition. Question three. As the old saying goes, it takes all kinds of people to make the world go round. Unfortunately, some of those kinds of people have a higher threshold for childish pranks, inappropriate jokes, and colorful language. An inappropriate roommate game is a game where you firmly believe that the age recommendation on the box is vastly different from what the recommendation should be. So what game of yours is an inappropriate roommate? So the inappropriate roommate. Well, I've got two here, actually. So the first one is one we just spoke about, and that was Snapship's Tactics. That one there has an age of 14 plus, Mm. where I I don't really think you, you could be younger than 14 and still grasp this. No doubt. But then on the other angle, you could be 12 or older to play Lisboa. I know of no 12-year-old that has the attention span to sit through Lisboa. So Scott, I, most what? adults can't figure out Lisboa. <laughs> well, maybe there's that smart 12-year-old that's able to just go through it. I don't know. What, what did you think? Scott, I actually just elaborated a little bit on what you said, and I said, you know, any game that feels like it's able to be played by a younger crowd but has that 14-plus rating, Mm -hmm. like in the case of Snapship Tactics. And the reason for that is – all I did was explain the reasoning is because if you want to have your game be approved for someone who's uh, – we'll say you want to slap uh, ages 
five and up on the box. Okay. There's testing involved. You have oh. to actually like have it have it tested and that costs money. And therefore, you're going to have to increase the cost of your game, which might affect your sales. So oftentimes when we see the inappropriate age range and it's like, wait a minute, how come that thing says 14 and up? That's the reason is because they didn't want to spend the money. And um, that sounds like a bad thing. They could not afford to or it was not worthwhile to invest the money into getting that six and up slapped on the box. So I'm going to go with that blanket statement for my well, inappropriate Well, I'm glad you did because I, I'm glad you didn't put anything down but explain it because that's something I don't think many people really think about, the testing part and figuring out the age range for it. You just look at it and it's like, oh, well, that's off or something like that. But you never really think what goes in behind that. So thank you for sharing that. That was very, very well, cool. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, Andrew. <laughs> hit us with the next one. Question four, the famous flatmate. Have you ever been in public with a friend where they keep bumping into people they know? You can't take five steps without, oh, yep, there's someone else they know. Let's face it, some people have a shot glass for socializing, while others have a bathtub. Some people are extroverted, charismatic, and love developing large social circles while others are introverted, misanthropic, and keep tiny, tiny social circles. For whatever reason, some people are just more popular than others. A famous flatmate game is a good game that has been destroyed by their need for so many expansions. What game of yours is a famous flatmate? Scott, we're talking the famous Flatmate, a game that gets destroyed by having too many expansions. There's the obvious ones like playing Carcassonne with all 10 or playing Dominion and just having that unwieldy box and the giant deck, the master deck that you're going to pull from. But I went with Terraforming Mars. Mm. Yeah, and it's not because of the too many issue. It's more because some of them just don't sit right with me. Venus being its sideboard thing, turmoil being the pregame thing. Sometimes when we add expansions to games, we have to look at what value are they adding to the game. Some of them, like Prelude, and even I'll include the uh, the what is it colonies where you have the option yeah. of sending a ship to a colony. I like what those do to the game. They give you a little boost and a little side off option while not making the game get prolonged or convoluted with rules. And mm. I feel like if you're doing Terraforming Mars, then you start adding in too much. And Terraforming Mars, I'm using as a post child, but any game that has multiple modules, multiple expansions, once you start, we'll say, overstuffing that turkey, well, suddenly the meat starts losing its flavor and it becomes not very good. Well, it's funny because my second place one was Terraforming Mars. Is that the right? Same oh. exact thing there. Because I think they built an amazing world with it, even with giving the other boards. Uh, oh, the other boards are great. Those were great. But then once they got the Martian Congress involved, then it was just like, okay, we've gone <laughs> far, far too far. But mine was actually the Lord of the Rings LC. No, it was the Arkham Horror LC. No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was okay, the Marvel Champions. We're just going to say LCGs. 
I love the idea of that Fantasy Flight puts out there for their living card games. You have mm-hmm. your main box, and then you buy the expansion for it, and it gives you everything that you need. You don't have to go buying pack after pack after pack to find that one card that you want to play with. You just buy it, and then you go. But I know whenever I got I got into Arkham Horror late in the game, whenever it was still the first edition of it before they upgraded to the second edition. By mm-hmm. the time I got into that, you had the base game. Then you had a chapter pack. Then you had six little smaller expansions for that one. Then you had the next chapter pack and six smaller expansions for that. Then you had another expansion pack that went in between those and then another uh, chapter pack. And you did never knew really where to jump in. You had to go on like Wikipedia or something like that and look up the order in which to go through. And it just oh, got to the God. point where it was just so big, so unwieldy to go through and get everything that you need and get it in a, an order if you wanted to. Uh, especially Lord of the Rings. You almost had to do it in an order because it would fill out the story as you're going along through the game. It's a great idea, but sometimes I think it should be that they go and go so far, stop it, and then start another edition of it and move on. Otherwise, the game gets in the way of itself. Yes, it just gets so big. I still have a bunch of the Star Wars LCG. I got rid of a lot of my Lord of the Rings stuff. I just have the base box for that. I have the base box Mm -hmm. for the new Arkham Horror. They try and get so much in there. But by the time you get everything in there, you are just so overstimulated with trying to figure out what kind of game you want to play with this. Hmm. Question five. The Big Time Borrower. At a young age, we learn pleasantries such as respecting boundaries, the value of sharing, and being polite. Unfortunately, It takes some much, much longer to learn these pleasantries. For others, it takes a lifetime. Have you ever returned home after a long day at work only to find that your roommate has consumed all of your Rocky Road ice cream? Have you ever reached in the closet for an item of clothing only to realize that your roommate has borrowed it without your permission? And yet, we tolerate such betrayals. We tolerate them because, at the end of the day, you still enjoy your roommate. A big-time borrower game is a game that, even though it frustrates you for whatever reason, you continue playing it. What game of yours is a big-time borrower? All right, Scott Andrew wants to know, who's your big-time borrower roommate? A game that frustrates you, but you keep coming back to it. I have no idea what you're going to say. So I'm very interested. Well, my big time borrower is the one that we've been busy with here, and that is Ark Nova. Uh, I am not, I very rarely win a game. I won that one game against you. I was thrilled, but I very rarely (laughs) win this game. Now, hold on. You're going to win the one that we're playing right now. Oh, I don't know about it. It's like that. 70 it's 70 to 52, I think. You you're you're on the trajectory. If you okay. lose, I'll be surprised. Well, get ready to be surprised cuz I'll find a way to lose. <laughs> but uh the thing about it is that I enjoy it so much because there's so much to delve into this. There's so many different ways to play this game. Do you want to go with a lot of the programs? Do you want to go with 
getting uh, points from the specialist in the Americas. You want to go with a lot of animals. All these different things that you want to do. And then the choices you have to make out of those five choices that you have to take. Like, the action which parts. one do I want to play? There's so many things you can do in this game. I love going back to it over and over. And even if I don't win, I know I have a good time and I'm ready to go back and play it again. So Ark mm-hmm. Nova is my big time borrower. Good answer. And you know what? It's interesting because people would normally not say, oh, that's a frustrating game. And mine's in a similar vein. I think maybe frustrating can be a good thing sometimes in a board game. Yeah. When, yeah, when yeah, frustration yeah, yeah. is like a tease, like, oh, if you'd have done this one thing different. Exactly. Hey, try that next time. And you know where I get that a lot is from co-op games that are very hard or you really got to have things work out. And mm-hmm. I picked Spirit Island. Oh, okay. It's got – a lot going on in each game. You have a myriad of decisions, what with the cards in your hand and where things are on the table and what's being colonized and how much fear you're instilling into these these invaders coming to your island. What spirit are you playing? What's everybody else playing around the table? Are we going to go with slow actions? Are we going to go with fast actions? What's the best combo? And then you lose. <laughs> it's like, what did we do wrong? What can we mix? Okay, re-rack it. Let's go again. Spirit Island's a game that I'm pretty comfortable doing that with because it is so engaging. When I lose, I feel like I had a chance. And then it beats me down again. And it's like, mm, no, no, I had a chance. I, I'm, Let's go again. Be it a, a solo play, a two-player game, or the full-fledged four-player thing. I love it for that. For me, frustrating game that I keep coming back to, Spirit Island. Okay, not bad, not bad. Okay, Andrew, where are we going now? Question six, the forgetful friend. It may take two to tango, but it definitely takes all your roommates to pay the rent. However, sometimes your roommate is constantly behind on their fair share. Now, there are few topics of conversation as awkward and delicate than addressing the roommate rent situation, believe you me. A forgetful friend game is a game that costs you a pretty penny, but despite your best efforts, it will never hit the table enough to get your money's worth. What game of yours is The Forgetful Friend? Okay, a game that costs you a pretty penny and you either just can't get it to the table or you haven't gotten it to the table enough to feel like you got your money's worth. Scott, I think I might know yours. Tell me your forgetful friend. Well, my forgetful friend is Ankh. Nailed it. I was going to say, does it begin with an A? Oh, (laughs) knew it. Yes, I I went in big on the expansions and everything into this. I am a sucker for anything that's themed Egyptian. I I don't know what it is. I absolutely love it. The idea of having these huge figures of these Egyptian gods, having the pyramids out there, the obelisks, all this stuff on the table. I got the mat to lay out to play on and everything. I got the good coins, everything. I just can't get it to the table. Now, the thing about it is I'm looking at, I'm hoping in a way, okay, don't take this the wrong way, anybody, that we have somewhat of a bad winter so I can't go many places. So I do Mm want to get this back out and get this to the table. I want to play solo so I get really comfortable with it and get it out there and kind of rediscover this game. I think that there's a really, really good game in there. 
and I just need to play it more and experience. That's the whole thing there. That's my big time borrower right there is, uh, I'm sorry, the forgetful friend is Ankh. We had a good time when we played. It's been a while. It oh, was, yeah, geez, yeah. Jeez, that's got to yeah. be two years ago now that we played that, but it, Easily. it was fun. I liked mm-hmm. it. So it's what got- was yours? Your Mine. forgetful friend. Oh, two of them that I put on here. And Ooh. it could be any number of games. It's And I went with ones that I haven't gotten to the table at all. Uh, I said Shovel Knight and ISS Vanguard. ISS oh. Vanguard. I was so stoked when that came in. It has been a year. It's been over a year. I got it in October last year. Yeah. They're gonna. I'm gonna have the next wave crap before I've even played the initial. <laughs> Andrew, who's leading this segment, messaged me. He's like, "Hey, I got an ISS Vanguard. I know you've been playing it. You know, what do you think?" And I was like, "I haven't been playing it." <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's a combination of, of of so many games and so little time. Yeah. You know, even if I didn't have this pot, you know, even if we weren't doing this, we love to have that excuse. Like, well, I got to play the oh, next yeah, new yeah. thing. But well, that's that's a new thing. You could play that, and I just I can't. Find the time to sit down, set it up, sort the stuff, and and dig in. And uh, Shovel Knight I put on there also because I've had that one forever. And oh, yeah, I love the yeah. minis. I've played the video game. And I'm like, this is going to be cool. But I don't know. You know what I think is keeping me is like, I don't know that Shovel Knight has this big appeal. Like, I want to play games that I want to talk about on the show. And like, I don't know if Shovel Knight's going to hit the spot or not. And there's yeah. a big investment of time to find out. Mm-hmm. Same with ISS Vanguard. Same with the Ever Rain and any of these big games that I have that I just yeah. can't get to the table. Yep, yep. It's one of those tough things that you know it's going to give you a great experience, but it's going to take a lot of time to get to it. All right, Andrew. Floor's yours. Question 7. The problem with privacy. No matter how many nights you go out, parties you attend, or friends you have on social media, we all need privacy to, you know, recycle and recharge. No matter how many roommates you have, it only takes one, just one, chatty Cathy to compromise your privacy and spoil your me time. Because politely telling your chatty roommate to jog on without being rude or hurting their feelings is the Kobayashi Maru of roommate situations. Winning is just an illusion. A problem with privacy game is a game you're sick of playing, but despite your lack of interest, it still manages to get to the table Over and over and over and over. What game of yours has a problem with privacy? Scott, I'm going to take this one real quick. All right. My answer is Catan because it's all that my brothers ever want to play when we play on Board Game Arena. Like once a month, let's play Catan. Let's play Catan. I'm like, you know, I can teach you guys plenty. Catan's fine. It's a great game, but there's Mm -hmm. plenty of other great games. And well, I'd I'd rather have a decent time. With my brothers playing Catan, then no time at all. What you got for your... The problem with privacy. Well, this one here is a tough one because I don't think I have one. Because we have so many games we're playing, trying to learn these games. There's nothing that comes up. But... but, We have a a problem with constantly having to learn something new. uh, Yeah. (laughs) But I got to go back with... Whenever I talk to people and I say I have a podcast about board games, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, 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 we should get together sometime and play Cards Against Humanity. 
And oh. then it's just like, oh my god. And it's just any sort of those games where you play to a judge and you're trying to win them over. It's it's one of those things that I just dislike those kind of games so much. So I, I really don't have an answer for it, but if I did, you would have to go to cards. You find yourself games. sitting down for those games. I would sit often there and enough. I'm like, all right, let's let's do it. Let's hear number eight, Andrew. And here we are at the final question, guys. Question nine. The Beastly Bedfellow. Your roommate loses their job. They traveled across town for a date only to be stood up. They took their car in for a quick oil change and ended up waiting for hours. They're being ghosted by their crush. They don't approve of mom's new boyfriend. Let's face it, no matter what happens, some people are constantly in a rotten mood. They complain about anything and everything. They stomp around. They slam doors. Living with such an ill-tempered roommate can have you walking on eggshells. A beastly bedfellow game is a game with an extremely, extremely high likelihood of ending with a flipped table, board swipe, or any other outrageous outbursts. What game of yours is a beastly bedfellow? Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a wait, minute. Wait, do they count differently out out in your area? Or? <laughs> Scott, as it turns out, we don't have a number eight. We're skipping eight. We're going right from seven to number nine, the beastly bedfellow, which I was terrified of what he might have inferred when I saw that in the scripting. But no, it's a game with an extremely high likelihood of ending up with a flipped table. What yep. you got? Agricola. <laughs> But no, I think they mean of anybody flipping a table, not one that you're going to flip the table. <laughs> There's nobody that I play with that would flip a table quicker than I would playing Agricola. Fair enough. You know what I would. <laughs> you know what I went with was uh, I, I was like, he's clearly going to say diplomacy. It's the game that you need to play with five or six friends, and when you're done, you need to find five or six more friends because those true, ones true. ain't your friend anymore. But I was like, ah, oh, we better we better go with something different. How about uh, what makes a game something that makes you want to flip a table? There's something there. What makes a gamer angry? Let's narrow it down to this: games where you lack some control in the outcomes, games uh, or times when you're being teamed up on, right? Mm-hmm. Broken agreements or contracts, right? Now, ain't nobody flipping the table in TI, but I'm telling you what, like if you see, I promise, I promise you I won't, t- where you got to really put on the car salesman to get someone to do your bidding and then you just stab them in the back. Ooh. And you know what? I, I, had, a, I had an Epiphone. <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> it's getting late. I had an Epiphone while I was at work today. Now about this one. Illogical play that hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person who's in the lead. And it also doesn't advance the individual who's making the play. When somebody does something in the game, right? It just doesn't make sense. What are you attacking me for? I'm in third. You know, you're in say, you shouldn't you be going at, like, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Illogical play. You know where we see this a lot is with spouses, you know, people that know each other. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna attack you. And Mike and I, we have we have a tendency sometimes to well, I don't know what I'm gonna do, so I'm just gonna go attack yeah. Mike. <laughs> and I think he does the same thing back at me. And and 
you know, it's all in fun. Neither of us are ever going to flip a table, but those are some of the facets that I think, some of the reasons why I think gamers get exceptionally angry sometimes. But diplomacy can do that. I oh, think yes. barrage can do that because barrage, you when you make a play, it can be a sound move. It's not necessarily oh, yeah, logical, yeah, yeah, yeah. but unfortunately it is set up as a game where somebody can make plays that are sound, but in doing so, they're leaving themselves vulnerable or susceptible where the next person or a few plays later, a logical play might be to totally cut them off from whatever yeah. they were trying to do. It's sensational. And, you know, when it happens, you go, oh, and you learn and you learn. And part of the beauty of that game is you experience that and you go, okay, how do I avoid that this time? In Obsession, you know, there, there's a play where whereby you can activate the butler's pantry, or not the butler's pantry, you can hire early. You can go to the, the service quarters, you can right. hire early. And then on turn three, if they only have one white meeple, you can shark their white meeple. It's really common to lead on brown building, green building, blue building, punch, you know, whatever the fourth is. Yeah. If you lead on blue, and then you go something else, and you come back to blue, and you steal their white worker, and it's their only one, well, then they're like, well, crap. Yep, I needed that yep. to make money, to hire something, and it's a really easy way to uh, to win that first courtship. People learn from that, but it's a game where that can happen. And talk about backstabbery, good old cosmic encounter. Oh, oh, oh gosh, yes. What fun that can be. <laughs> there, there's layups, risk, monopoly, sure, but we wanted to keep it hobby related, so that's what I came up with. Well, boys, Scott, Patrick, we've come to the end. This is all I have for you today. I hope you had fun. Once again, my name is Andrew Davidson. Thank you, everyone, for playing another version of What If Board Games Were People. See you at the next one. Well, hey, I I like this. It, he comes up with some really great lists for us to go through. I Thank you, Andrew, very, thank very much. Thank you so much. I can't wait for the next time we play What If Board Games Were People. <laughs> All right, adventurers, we've come to the end of yet another episode and where we like to take a look and figure out how we leveled up. My level up, it's nothing really all that special, but for me, it's a big thing. Oh, what'd you do? I had a leak in my basement. Okay. I fixed it. <laughs> but, but, wait, but wait, fixing it is just putting the pipe in. Uh-huh. I turned the water on. No leaks? I had no leaks. You got copper plumbing? I went with PEX this time. Oh, wonderful. So well I, I tried that instead of doing the soldering, because soldering was not very, very nice to me. So I went with PEX. Well done, Scott. A level up indeed. Get yes, the plumbing down. Yes. Now, Patrick, how did you level up? All right. So I'm playing on BGA, and this one dude, he messages me. He's like, hey, I listened to the show, and you know, I, had, I heard the episode with Dan, and a great episode, by the way. Will you play me an obsession? He liked playing obsession. He's like, uh -huh. would you play a game with me? And I, you had mentioned it. Yeah, sure. So we're playing. And I've been playing back and forth with him for a few weeks. And I noticed that it's like, oh, this guy won at Sky Team for the first time and gets plus five points. And I was like, huh, I really want to learn Sky Team. So that morning, we're playing a game of obsession. And I messaged him. I was like, hey, would you play Sky Team with me later? Will you show me how to play it? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, we got to chat when we do it. I was right. like, that'd be great. Uh, dude's name is Kurt, and uh, he lives out in the Dakotas where Andrew's. He's one of the five people. So now we know two of them. 
in the Dakotas, right? So Kurt and I, we got to play a game of uh, Sky Team. He, he taught me, and uh, I was really pleased with that. It just made me realize how, you know, if you work at it, you can really connect with people. Yeah. And most That's of awesome. them in this hobby are really cool, really good. So Kurt, thank you so much for teaching me. That's my level up. Very, very cool. Adventures, not much wrap-up this time. Again, the Ethereal War, A-E-T-H-E-R-I-A-L, War is live on GameFound. That's from our buddy Nathan. Give it a look. It's a good one. A lot of value going on there. Stick around for the next time. We're going to have a two-player game episode. Scott, you get the last word. Okay. Well, hey, the last word here is the last event of the year. That is going to be PAX Unplugged. That is going to be a great time for everyone to get out, have a great time, share that happiness you have with this hobby, and we hope to see you all there. Have a great week, two weeks actually, and we'll see you soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh yes, happy Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Thank you adventurers for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.